Welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast with host Teddy Tarantino. New episodes every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Don't forget to subscribe. All right. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. Today we have Roxy on the show. What's going on? Is it Roxy or Roxanne? Rox, Roxy, Roxanne. Rox. No Roxana. No Roxanne. I don't get Just down Roxy. Like that. That works. Roxy or Rox? Do you prefer Rox? I don't have a preference. Just okay. don't call me Roxana. Just no Roxana? Mm-hmm. Is that your real name? It's not my name. Oh, it's Roxanne. Roxanne? Yeah. Okay. It ends with an E. No gotcha. A. So did you say 10 years clean? Yes, 10 years. Awesome. How old are you? 39. I'll be 40 in a few weeks. Oh, wow. Are you excited? No, uh, no I don't care. Yeah. Uh, I think the last time I was upset about getting older is mm-hmm. when I turned 20. Because I gotcha. felt like... I shouldn't be behaving like this mm-hmm. anymore, but I'm not gonna stop. So yeah, awesome. now I don't get. Now I don't care. You're local to LA. Yep, born and raised. Nice. How was uh, growing up in LA? I don't know any different. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is just life. Like I don't. I don't want to live anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I like it here. Uh, I'm fine with paying all this money for the perfect weather. Uh, <laughs> I. This is home. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, where your where's your family from? Uh, my mom's side of the family grew up in the San Fernando Valley. I don't know. Uh, I don't really know their background. Mm-hmm. We didn't grow up with, I didn't grow up with my mom. Uh, my dad is from, his family's from Arizona, but he moved out here, uh, I don't know, mid twenties. Uh, and his family's from Mexico, Zacatecas, mm-hmm. Zacatecas and Chihuahua. Really? Uh-huh. That's where my mom's from. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's from she's from Zacatecas, but Moyawa. I was going to ask you if you speak Spanish, but the way you said yeah, Zacatecas, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't speak I, it that well. I already know the answer. I thought I sound like a white person a bad? little bit. Is your, yeah, I can't, not roll as bad my, as mine? I can't roll my R's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't say newspaper in Spanish. What a bib- periodico. Oh, periodico. Yeah. Yeah, go. but I I should be able to roll. Uh-huh. My name starts with an R, and it's mm-hmm. you can't. No. Wow. Well, I guess we're from the same town. Yeah. <laughs> we're kindred yeah. spirits. Mm-hmm. That's cool. We could be related. Like, Maybe. We could. Yeah. yeah, I'm from Florida, so there's like no Mexicans there. Oh, that's right. I have a mm-hmm. friend who uh, is from there, and we were talking about going to stay out there, and he, mm-hmm. he gave me the warning. He's like, they might think like you're, they're going to think you're either Puerto Rican or Indian. Yeah. I was like, yeah. That, I didn't know that was a thing, that mm-hmm. there weren't yeah, there's Mexicans of- everywhere. Yeah, yeah. There's really not. Like, in Florida, I've probably only met, like, three Mexicans, and I've lived there my whole life. Like, there's none. It's oh, crazy. you grew up there? Yeah, yeah. I so, how'd your, are both your parents Mexican? My mom's Mexican. My dad's Colombian. My mom moved to California when she was, like, 16 from Mexico. Okay. And moved, like, her whole family over here. But she grew up uh, most of her, oh, I guess, like, half of her life in Mexico when she was younger. And then um, my dad, I guess... They met in Mexico, and then I guess like my dad was working at like a hotel or something, and my mom was on vacation in Mexico, and they met there, and then somehow ended in Florida. She just went with him. He had it like that. I don't know. No, I don't know. I mean, he. Pro- I think he lied about everything. I think that's my mom's like he lied about like his whole life or whatever, and then I don't know how she fell in love with him. It's crazy. Right. But yeah, then they got married. They lived in. They traveled a lot. They went to New Jersey or whatever. But I was born in Florida. But, like, my sister was born in, like, New Jersey. My brother was born in, like, another. They, like, traveled a lot. And then they settled in Florida. Was your dad born in Colombia? Yeah. My okay. dad's born in Medellin. And did he live in Florida before I don't your know. mom? 
Oh, okay. I don't know much about my dad's story. Okay, so but... I don't know a ton about my mom. <laughs> yeah. Did you, is he alive? Yeah, my okay. dad's alive. I just, sometimes when I ask him questions, he's just like evasive. so vague and yeah. evasive and like jokes about stuff. But like, I'm pretty sure he like, left Columbia and then like worked at New York and then like went to New York and like she traveled a whole bunch when he was younger and then I guess they settled in Florida. Okay. So most people I know that have like their their mother mm -hmm. is from one country and their father is from another Latin mm -hmm. country, they typically claim like one one, the, one I, or the I'm other. What more do you Mexican say? For sure. Okay. So my dad so my dad like when I was little, my dad would always like talk shit about Colombians. Like my dad would be like, don't trust Colombians. Colombian women are crazy. Colombian men will rob from you. Like he was always like, like, dude, Colombians are no good. And maybe that's just like his experience with like his life, you know. But um, I wasn't really super close with my dad's side of the family. So I never really like felt like that side of the family. Yeah. But I was really close with my mom's side of the family. And I'd always go to California to visit my mom's family. So I would always go to California like once a year. And then like, you know, I would get like the whole Mexican, like like they have like imported tortillas from Mexico and like all this the stuff. Good kind. Yeah, like yeah. the real tortillas and stuff like that. And like, you know, they're like real Mexican, you know. So have you ever dated, do you date Colombians? I've dated a Colombian girl, yeah. Crazy? No, not the girl. No, my dad's crazy. My dad's crazy. <laughs> no, I've dated a Colombian girl and she was really, really down to earth, normal, good family upbringing, um, very family orientated, loyal, sweet, nice. So you were the crazy one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You're like, that's why I didn't work out. You're the Checks crazy out. One. Yeah. But um, I don't think I've ever dated a Mexican girl. No? I don't think so. I'm trying to think. Who's Mexican? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I dated a girl who was like, uh, 20% Mexican. Kind of, almost doesn't count. Mm hmm Not a real Mexican. Yeah, almost doesn't count. Yeah, she's like a white girl. My, my mom's side of the I'm Mexican. I'm just Mexican. Mm -hmm. But my mom's side of the family, they, it's obvious like they're predominantly, they've got a lot of European blood. Mm -hmm. Uh, so growing up, because I wasn't around them a lot, I thought I was half white. Oh, Did really? You, well, I didn't know yeah. that, I didn't know that we come in all, you know, Colors. shades yeah. and uh so i thought it was halfway and also i don't i don't typically claim this mm -hmm. but i grew up predominantly in santa clarita mm -hmm. so do you, oh you don't, like? no, okay, don't know okay santa clarita yeah you're not from here so santa mm -hmm. clarita um i grew up in a town called canyon country california and it's exactly like what it sounds like it's like um uh it's a predominantly white suburb uh we moved there when i was like seven years old mm. um the, the difference between schools, like I was shocked that there was grass at the school and that like mm -hmm. the the gates were left open during school hours. Mm -hmm. Like there was no barbed wire. Everything closed at seven o'clock. When uh, did you move there? When I was seven. Okay. Yeah. When I was seven from Panama City, which is like, it's a, it's a hood. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, I grew up surrounded by predominantly white, white people, people. Mm -hmm. uh and for a long time thought i was half, half white, white anyways uh, -huh. uh until i until i asked the question um so yeah i went to a military school and uh, there's a lot of mexicans at this military school which is really weird so i went to a military school in melbourne which is like like in the middle of florida and um everybody there was like where are you from that i don't think oh i'm mexican and they were like oh there's a lot of mexican kids here 
and it was school was like so it was for like rich kids and then it was for like bad behaved kids state okay. funded so it was like you either had parents who had money or you were like court ordered there so it was like a mix of both or you had like military brat kids who your family was so military that they wanted you to go to a military school and um i remember thinking like because the Mexicans like ran that school. Like everyone was like, "Oh, you're with so and so." They're mech. They're like the Mexican kids were like feared. So I'm expecting like big tatted like MS13 type of people. You know what I mean? And I remember I was roommates with this kid. Uh, his last name was Diaz because they go by, like last names in the like military school. And everyone's like, "Oh my God, Diaz is your roommate!" Like I thought it was like this big scary kid. And it was like this 120 pound white kid. But from Mexico, but, from, yeah. but he was yeah. like white and pale and like little, but his like family had money or whatever. And um, that that was like my, that, but that's like the only Mexican, but there was like a lot of Mexicans there, but that's the first time I've seen like white Mexicans. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know we existed. Yeah. So yeah. that's cool. So uh, what's your story? My story. Mm. Well, uh, I basically grew up in a 12-step program. My um, my dad will celebrate 45 years clean. No. Wow. 45, 45. Yeah, 45 years clean in December. Um, 45? That's crazy. Yeah. So I'm going to be 40 in a few weeks. So I've never so seen him So he got use. clean five years before mm-hmm. you were born. Wait, is he's in our fellowship or the other fellowship? Our fellowship. Okay, that's great. I just say that because it's way more rare to have 45 years in our fellowship than like... right. No, he's been around a long time. Wow. Um, Na- California native? No. So he, his family's from, actually, I think I said they're from Arizona, but they lived in Fresno and mm-hmm. then were in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So he was back and forth between Fresno and Arizona. And um, But he got clean in LA? He got, um, uh, he came out here and wound up on Skid Row. Wow. And uh, got clean a little while after that. Yeah, that's always interesting. So I think the fellowship is like, what, 60 years old or something yeah. like that? So it's like he was there from like the beginning. Yeah. Is he no, super he, involved? Yeah. No, he was wow. doing, he's he's had the same panel at Wayside, which is like a prison uh-huh. out here um, for 20 plus years. What? You know, he he was uh, putting literature, literature, literature packets here. together uh-huh. out of the back of um, Jimmy K's car. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, that they, stuff, they've been like, around a long. That's like so interesting. It like blows my mind. I love hearing that stuff. Yeah. I, I, I grew up taking that for granted a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, well, this past couple of years, like I started, I participated in the World Service Conference mm-hmm. and like I was of service that entire that entire week. Um, and I, it was shocking to me that like, I've been around this long, like I, I've, I'm in s- such close proximity to this and I fucking, I miss the mark because mm-hmm. what it takes to keep this together so that we can yeah, continue to stay clean to and thrive and yeah. like how it's evolved, <clears throat> it, it, it takes, so much mm-hmm. and um like so i'm trying to soak that up now because i feel like you know my parents are old mm-hmm. our predecessors are old and um i just because it's always been a part of my life it, I, it wasn't a big deal to me and it's mm-hmm. a big fucking deal yeah i was telling my girl that i met this woman downstairs and someone was like this is so-and-so's wife and this man had passed away but i grew up listening to his speaker tapes and um when i saw her it's like one like i've only listened he only has like a couple speaker tapes on youtube but he's like super famous in like uh, southern california and um i didn't know he had a wife and i didn't know the wife was still alive and when i met her 
I was like, oh my God, like your husband's story like changed. Like I just, I just yeah. could, you like just can't believe it. It's like a piece of history. Cause like he has been clean. He was clean for like probably 40 years, maybe right. 35 years. Maybe he had 20 years in like the eighties or something. And it's just like a piece of history. And it's just like, it, it was, it's like, you know, I could meet any celebrity and like wouldn't care. But to me meeting her, I was just like, wow. I've really made it a point to like the past year and a half to like step outside myself mm-hmm. a little bit and see what this looks like from like everybody else's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, my dad is in the program. Um, and then I, when I couldn't get clean, I moved in with a couple mm-hmm. uh, and people know them as like my parents. Mm-hmm. They're, they're my other dad and my, and my mom. And uh, wow. um, no matter who you talk to, they're going to know, they probably know my dad and my parents, mm-hmm. but they at least know one of them. And it's always like, oh, you're, you're so, so-and-so's daughter. daughter. Wait, wait, your mom's in recovery too? Okay. So no, that's not my real mom. It's okay. like my ad- adopted. Okay. Well, okay. We'll, we'll probably revisit that because mm-hmm. it's confusing. So my, my parents met um, in the 12-step fellowship. And uh, my dad says that my mom didn't have a minute clean. So they met uh, at the treatment center, at, at the at the same treatment center that I went to the first time I went mm-hmm. to treatment uh, in North Hollywood. Um, and my mom couldn't stay clean. She couldn't stay clean. Was your dad already clean? He was already clean. Okay. So yeah. 13 step then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess Slim Pickens back then. It happens. Yeah. Yeah, because when I when I try to go that route, mm-hmm. I, I got a lot of shit for that. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, I stopped, I stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. That used to be my thing when I was, uh, like, my first few years first around here. Years. I'd be like, who's taking a, a mm-hmm. white... Not consciously, but yeah, I, yeah. I know You're what I was doing. To, like, who's, yeah. who's taking a white chip? I think I was like that, like, my first maybe year and a half. It was like, who's more fucked up than me? Yeah. I don't know why, but I would just be like attracted to, I mean, it's like a low self-esteem thing, but it's like, I would be attracted to like the girl with like fresh track marks and like the girl who's like just getting clean and right. you kind of want to save them and you feel like important or whatever. But, um, mine was definitely not like a captain save a home move. It was, <laughs> it was, uh, I don't like to be told what to do. I'm bossy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the perfect candidates. Yeah. There you go. You know? So, yeah. well, I thought, yeah. You know, didn't uh, didn't didn't typically work out yeah. well for either one of us, mm-hmm. but that was my that was my go to. So now now when I watch people take chips, like sometimes I, I sit there and I I, la- I laugh a little because mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, that like so much has changed. Yeah, for <laughs> so sure. much. Yeah, so much has changed. Um, so uh, my parents met and uh, had some had two children together. Uh, I'm the oldest. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom also has two other kids like after, after my dad. Uh, So there's four of us. We all have um, addict parents. Like both of our, both of, both of our parents are addicts, even though we don't have the same dads. Uh, But I'm the only one who, who wound up here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, uh, I really struggled I really struggled uh, in the beginning. It took me like four or five years uh, to get it together. And I was trying to get clean. Yeah. When did like using start for you? Do you think you were born an addict? (sighs) Probably. I don't put much thought into that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, statistically, genetically, like probably. Mm -hmm. But also, if you look at my family, that's not 
necessarily true. I mean, there's four of us and it's just, it's just me. Uh, it, it doesn't feel pertinent anymore. Like mm -hmm. I, I just, this is yeah. what happened. This is what I am. Like I, a lot of bad shit happened to me like when I was a kid, but mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think like I, I used because of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it aided in me not having to deal with them, mm -hmm. but I just love to get high. Uh, I didn't start really like until later. My dad was super, super strict, like especially with me. Mm -hmm. Like I was not allowed to wear like nail polish mm -hmm. when I was wow. in high school. Like he tried you to probably saw it coming. Oh, I, I don't know what he saw. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he saw, but, uh, I, so I, I didn't know, I knew that he was in the program, but I didn't grow up like knowing, like I was in a meeting baby. So I didn't hear any of the stories. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, so I, I smoked weed and drank in high school when I could, mm -hmm. but it was rare. But I know that from the gate, like the first time I got drunk, it was, it was like blackout. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I didn't know there was an issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I, I probably around 19, uh, I moved out. Um, and then it was just, it was just on, but I was, I was like the party girl. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was having, I was having fun, but from jump, it was like that. There was no like, Oh, I'm going to have a couple drinks tonight. Mm -hmm. It was just on and cracking. Uh, and I, and I was in a, an immediate mess, uh, I remember at one point thinking like, oh, I got a problem. And just in that same instance being like, oh, well. Yeah, what can you do about it? Not even what can I do about it? Like, I, I like this. I like how I feel. Uh -huh. uh, I've always been uh, like really kind of shy and uncomfortable. Uh, I didn't know that until I got loaded. Because mm -hmm. when I got loaded, I felt like, oh, this is what life is supposed to feel like. Like, I... It sounds so stupid now, but I felt like powerful and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I could, I, I felt like I was who I was, I always was meant, I was always meant to be when I was loaded. Like I could just be who I, who I truly was. That's mm -hmm. what it felt like to me. Uh, and so in that instant, when I knew like I got a problem and I know I could get help for it, I just had so much life ahead of me. I wasn't. I wasn't even willing to think about like living. I didn't, I didn't know the terminology yet, but living without the use mm -hmm. of drugs, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't an alternative for me. It wasn't a realistic choice. Mm -hmm. uh, and I never, I never got to a place where I was willing to ask for help. Never. Every time I went to treatment, it was never like that. I would have to get caught doing something like steal somebody's car, get a DUI, uh, and somebody would offer to send me to treatment the first time it was my dad. And um, I know that the first time I went to treatment, like I, I, uh, I was terrified. I was terrified. I had never kicked before. Mm -hmm. uh, Were you doing opiates this time? Yeah, I was doing opiates. Okay. Uh, I had never kicked. And uh, I know it's not physically possible, but it felt like my fucking eyelashes hurt. Yeah. Like the cold sweats, not being mm -hmm. able to sleep. Like I remember because I would someone was sharing last night about like 12 step calls and like mm -hmm. how we used to babysit people. That's how I kicked. Mm -hmm. My dad had me on different people's couches. Like those couches went they're they're basura. Like I, I, uh, I sweat so nasty all mm -hmm. over them. Like you could wring out the sheets, wring out the cushions, wring out my clothes. 
And I remember thinking, I'm never, I will never put myself through that again. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when I walked into treatment, like I was afraid, but, uh, but I had hope, like I, I can live like this. Uh, and it felt like camp to me, right? Like there were boys there, which is <laughs> like, that's perfect for me. Uh, at the time, like it was any attention. So like there were some girls there too. I, I was mm -hmm. good with whatever. Uh, and I was 24, 24. Uh, and I could see myself living without getting loaded. Mm. Uh, and I'd never, I'd never felt that way before. In fact, like right before I went into treatment, uh, the Lakers were doing well. Okay. And I, I'm a, I'm a huge Laker fan. And uh, I knew we were going to make the playoffs. And I asked my dad if we could postpone treatment. I'm crying. Like, I was hysterically mm -hmm. crying. Like, they're going to make it. How am I going to be able to, how am I going to be able to watch the playoffs without having a beer and smoking a, smoking a blunt? And, uh, I, I can still remember the look on his face, like the, just like the, the disbelief and the shock, like, mm -hmm. and he's, he's screaming, this is insanity. The Lakers don't know who you are. <laughs> That's so funny. And I, but I was serious. Mm -hmm. I was serious. Um, but when I walked into that treatment center after that kick, like I felt okay. And I don't know that I had felt okay in a really long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, I, I wasn't willing to do the work. I, I wouldn't have said that at the time, uh, but it was immediate distractions. Like whatever, whatever I could do to distract myself, it was him, her, things, uh, it, it didn't matter. I, uh, I was constantly in trouble. Um, and like I said, my parents uh, were both known in that area. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I got away with a lot. Um, at that point, they I had been put on uh, some psych meds, and I had started stealing extra psych meds. Uh, and so I think like the fourth time I did that and got caught, like I got kicked out, mm -hmm. uh, and I had a wake up left. Like I had been there for eight months, and that's how I did treatment. Like treatment today, in treatment for eight months. The, the first, first time. time, eight months, five months, Damn. six months. Like I've always done long term treatment, uh, and by the third treatment center. For me, like doing treatment like that, staying in treatment that long and still being unable to stay clean. Yeah, because you're still like abusing meds and stuff. It just, well, and that was the first, yeah. that was the first, the first time. And I, you couldn't have told me that I relapsed, even mm -hmm. though I was taking extra meds. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, you, I didn't get high. It didn't make me feel high. Mm -hmm. It kind of made me tired. But looking back, I know that it was like anything to not feel the discomfort that I was feeling, like when you took away the drugs mm -hmm. and made me sit with myself. Um, so if it was an, I don't know, whatever it was at the time, whatever I was on at the time, like an extra depression or, mm -hmm. or anti-anxiety medication. Uh, but by the third treatment center, I was getting loaded in treatment. And I knew that this was a wrap for me. Like I, cause I was no longer safe, even in residential treatment. I was yeah. no longer safe for myself. And, uh, I, I knew that this wasn't going to work for me. And, um, did I, you believe you were an addict? Oh, absolutely. So you knew the, the first time you were like, I'm an addict. Oh, for sure. Okay. There were no doubts, no, yeah. no doubts. I knew what I was, mm -hmm. uh, and I knew it was a lifetime thing. How did you feel about the 12 step program? Like, did you think the 12 step program was like, like you believed in it? Absolutely. In the beginning. I, I, I always say that, like I walked in and I knew the hype was real. Like I've seen this work my entire life. 
for so many different types of people, mm-hmm. like people that love each other, people that do not fuck with each other. Like it, it, uh, when I talk about our fellowship, like mm-hmm. I, I say that like, it's, it's magic to me. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's magic the way that like, uh, we're all so different. And this, this one thing we, you know, there are little tweaks that we do. Like we do mm-hmm. things here and there differently, but like the 12 steps are the, they're the same 12 steps for everybody. We do them. We're supposed to do them in mm-hmm. order. We don't do them alone. Um, and it manages to work for like, for so many of us. Like yeah. I knew, I knew that it worked. Yeah. And like, that's kind of like why I like doing the podcast because a lot of times when a uh, 12 step stuff is talked about in public, it's talked about how like it doesn't work and how like so many people go to meetings, like don't stay clean or whatever. But like, I really see it like the gym, like it would be like saying the gym doesn't work. It's like, okay, how many people go to the gym, but like stop going or like don't eat right or whatever. So it's like the program to me makes so much sense. And if you do what you're supposed to do, you're going to stay clean. It's not like a, a mystery. You know what I mean? It's not like a luck thing or, or it's not hocus pocus. It's like very practical. You right. Know? But you can't just show up. Like I can mm-hmm. get a gym membership, but if I just go sit there. Yeah. You got to put the work in. Right. And that was, it was clear to me that this wasn't working for me, not because the I happened to be work. like the unique one. Okay. I wasn't doing the work and I was not willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause like I said, the, what we do is it's simplistic, but the work is hard. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I don't know a word to describe it. So I'll just make a noise. It's like, ugh, you know, like I, mm-hmm. sitting with that shit, um, having to look at myself, my part, I knew what this entailed. And, uh, at the time I would have said I couldn't, I couldn't sit with this, but I was just unwilling to like dig through the muck. And, um, and so I knew I wasn't gonna, I knew I wasn't gonna get clean ever. I knew I wasn't gonna get clean ever. Um, back to my, my mom, she, uh, she couldn't get clean. And, uh, when I was 15, she committed suicide. Uh, but I always make it very clear that we lost her the disease of addiction. Like she, cause she couldn't stay clean. Mm-hmm. She resorted to suicide. And, uh, I knew yeah. that I would fall in line. I feel the same way. Cause I feel like, uh, even now, like I struggle more, like I, I'll probably, I don't really struggle with like thoughts of using, but sometimes I'll have thoughts of like killing myself. And I know it's like the same thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if I want, cause now I'm like using is like such a long drawn out thing. So yeah, it's like a lot of, cause I have friends in recovery who like kill themselves. And, um, to me, it's like, it's, it's addiction, you know? Yeah. Cause it, it's just another out. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a like quicker, a different, it's, it's a like quicker a different out. Drug. Yeah. yeah. It's a quicker out. Uh, and I, the last time I went into treatment, um, my little sister picked me up on the street and, uh, you know, I, man, a lot of people suffered as a result of my disease. Um, nobody suffered more than my little sister, you know, nobody suffered more than her. And, uh, she was always the one. She was always the one showing up. And uh, she, uh, the plan was what it always was. Some version of like, you're going to go stay here until you get another bed in treatment. Mm-hmm. And so she was going to take me to my dad's and I was going to stay probably on the couch. Uh, and she uh, she pulled off on this exit, Rinaldi. And uh, the Sam- there's a, a mission there called the San Fernando Mission. There's a cemetery there and that's where our mom is buried. So she took a detour. 
and uh, she sat me at her mom's grave and uh, just pleaded with me, you know, pleaded with me to get the help mm -hmm. that was being offered to me. And, um, you know, she she had I don't know if it was an ultimatum. I, I don't know what what she was doing, but she said that if I wasn't going to try to get clean one more time, that I needed to tell her what she was what she was going to tell my nephew when the only place he could visit his auntie is there. And uh, like I got so I love I love kids. I have a plethora of godchildren mm -hmm. and uh, nieces and nephews. And he was my first one. Yeah. Like, uh, I didn't know I could love like that. Like, that's my guy. Um, and so I don't know that I've ever felt so pitiful, like in that moment, because uh, I lied to her. You know, it was a, I want to get clean. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try. But it had been years that I, I like, I, I knew this isn't going to work for me because I'm not, I'm not going to do the work. I'm not going to do the work. And so if I was honest with her, I would have told her, I don't know, but you're going to have to tell him something, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to have to tell him something. And, uh, I would say like at that point, like the, the, really the only hope I had left was that I wouldn't live as long as my mom did. Uh, and she was 39 when, uh, when we lost her. And, uh, you know, last year, when I turned 10, uh, a couple weeks later, I turned 39 and it was mm -hmm. like, there was a lot that I made a lot of big changes at the, at the end of last year. Uh, but I just, it felt so full circle for me. Like the, the magic that I talk about in Narcotics Anonymous, that's it. That's it. That like this process, I finally surrendered. I subscribed to this process and it took me from, you know, like a, a, a shell of a human being lying to my little sister at mm -hmm. our mother's gravesite, like pleading, pleading and praying uh, to a God that I wasn't really sure existed to just fucking please take me soon to this, uh, to this woman who, who, who just thrives and makes difficult decisions because they're the right decisions. And um, one of the things that I get to do with my dad in, in recovery is a, uh, because our birthdays are so close, I'm November sixth and he's December tenth. Like You're I wait November to 6th? take, it. yeah. I'm November 9th. Are you? Yeah, oh, it's crazy. We're close. Mm -hmm. So I wait to take <clears throat> my cake, and uh, so for the past five or six years, we exchange cakes at this meeting. And oh, your 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 clean date's November sixth. My clean date's November sixth. Yeah. Okay, my, my birthday's November 9th. Okay, my birthday's November twenty third. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So uh, we exchange cakes there, and. Uh, I just, there have been a lot of cakes that have been like a big deal, but that, that, uh, that tugged at all the heartstrings. Mm -hmm. Like, like I've got 10 years clean. I'm, I'm going to be 39. Like I, 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 I never prayed harder for anything than to die before I was like, before I turned 39. Cause I, I knew I, I knew I couldn't keep going like that. Like I, I knew that eventually I would take my own life and, um, as much as I wanted to die, like, well, you know, you've, you've lost people to suicide. Death is hard always. But for me, like when someone you love takes their own life, like, uh, especially as a little kid and especially mm -hmm. it being my mom, like I just, I was never enough after that. Like it broke our family. It broke us as individuals. Like, uh, I was never going to be good enough for anything or anyone. Um, and I didn't want my little sister to feel like that twice in one lifetime. Um, it's like I, I, I knew like whatever higher power or God existed out there, like, could you please take me soon? 
So I don't have to do so I don't have to do that to my little sister. So my nephew doesn't know what that feels like. Um, and this process just it's like that person never even existed. I always hear people share about how like um, recovery gave them back the person that like the disease stole. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's never resonated with me because I feel like nobody had this. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't know her. My, my dad didn't know her. My sister didn't know. Nobody, nobody knew this. Like I, I am comprised of what our fellowship has to offer. Like, and I've got all the fucking goods. Like, mm -hmm. I, I make no qualms about that. Like, I'm dope now. But that's because <laughs> I've chosen my people wisely. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I've been fortunate enough, like, to, to be born into the family that I was born into, to get clean in the area that I got clean in. Because um, I, like, I've got all the goods. You know, I, uh, I didn't walk in here like... Um, Grow, growing up in a house where like I was unloved like I, I don't know well I know where my dad learned it he learned it mm -hmm. he learned it here he learned it in our fellowship because I, I grew up in a house where I was loved on I was hugged on you know I was safe um so I didn't come in lacking in that area and I still waltzed in here and it's like I stood in line when it was time to stand in line to get like all your people I got all all the best people that like this thing we do has to offer top tier. I, I, I took them all. It's almost unfair. Um, but it's how I, how I get to be the way you don't know me, but like if you, you'll get to know me and be like, Oh yeah, she's, she's dope. I, I, I see. Mm -hmm. Um, it's because I strive to be like those people. Like I, I, uh, They've subscribed to this process. They've surrendered to this process. And 30, 40, 45 years later, they're still doing it. And they're still getting better. So I'm still getting better. Because mm -hmm. uh, those are my people. Like, even when I'm tired of this, because uh, sometimes I don't want to do this. I'm tired. Some of y'all bug me. Um, I'm easily irritable anyway. But... uh but the people that I've surrounded myself with, like they just do this thing constantly. So I've learned to do this thing constantly, like even even when my attitude is shitty. Mm. Um, and I love it here. I love it here. You know, I have a, I have some really close friends that are are not in the program, and that you know, like they've been friends since I was like eleven years old. Uh, one of my best friends, we've been friends since I was fifteen, and I'm a and the godmother to his four children. Um, and sometimes they'll ask, like, don't you think, like, don't you think you're okay now? Like, why do you, mm -hmm. why are you always so busy with that stuff? Um, and this past year, like, I've allowed them to, like, get a glimpse into, like, what it is we do. Like, I, I talk to them more about what it is I do. And uh, this friend specifically has, like, a clear understanding of, like, oh, you wouldn't be the godmother to my four children if uh, if it wasn't for this thing that you do. Um, you wouldn't be available, and I wouldn't want you. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, that's the other thing about this is like, it's so powerful, it's so magical that like, it's even people who aren't a part of this, they get to benefit mm -hmm. and heal from what it is that we do. 
Yeah, it's almost like the total opposite of addiction. It's like when you're using, like so many people have the ripple effects of like your horrible life. And then when you get clean, like you can affect so many people by, you know, just working the program and being available and changing your life. You know? Right, right. What, um, let me ask you. So when, what was it that was like the catalyst to like getting clean and like being willing to do the work? Oh. Okay. No catalyst. Mm -hmm. uh, I got kicked out of my last treatment center, like I always do. Mm -hmm. um, same shit, boys. Uh, <laughs> always. And there was like a, a, mm -hmm. a constant regression. This time I got kicked out for passing notes. And now I'm 30 and I'm passing notes Whoa. in a treatment center to a boy. Yeah, he, whenever I speak at it, like I'll speak at like men's. Uh, I, I did H&I for like 12 years at this men's. Well, I did do the men's meeting, but it was co-ed. Okay. And I used to always share, like, you got grown men in here passing notes. Like, you're 40 years old passing notes to some girl you just met. Some of y'all got kids. Like, how stupid do you got to be to be risking? Because a lot of them, if they get kicked out, they go back to prison. Right. So, like, y'all, yeah. you know, risking your freedom and you're handing notes to girls like you're in sixth grade. That's so funny. But yeah, me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Me. Uh, so I got kicked out and uh, I wound up on my dad's couch again. And, uh, again, like no hope. I know that at some point I'm going to go into somebody's medicine cabinet or something and I'll take something and then I'll lie about it. Cause that was my, that was my deal. Like mm -hmm. I, I'd lie about it. I, I've taken dirty cakes, dirty chips. Like I, I, I've spoken loaded, like completely out of my mind. Uh, I, I really struggled with honesty and, and, and asking for help. Asking for help when I when I needed it. I'm laughing now because we were just talking about how I still struggle asking mm -hmm. for help when I need it. Um, but I just started following my sponsor's direction, and I there was no conscious de decision to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, looking back, it was really about this. I didn't want to be back home. I didn't want to have to be. I had no car. I was embarrassed to be on the bus, uh, and I was going to have some shit job. Like I was going to have to get a job at like Kmart or a drive through or something mm -hmm. like that. And I didn't want anybody that I went to high school with to see me. That's really what it was about. And her direction was to call women in the San Fernando Valley because that's where I got clean and ask if I could sleep on their couches while I looked for a job. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I did that, not because I thought I was going to stay clean, but because I did not want to be caught at a bus, at a bus stop mm -hmm. in my hometown. Uh, and so I, I did that. And, and that's super old school. Like I, I don't, I, I've been dropped as a sponsor before because I don't, I'm unwilling to like drive, chauffeur them around. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was super old school. Like I, so I'd sleep on one couch for three days and one spare bedroom for a week. Uh, uh, at one point I had a sponsee sister who was like remodeling this back house. And so it was like full of shit, but she let me stay back there for like a month. And, uh, I got on the bus and, uh, I started working telemarketing jobs, something that I had refused to do prior because mm -hmm. I was too good for that uh, because I grew up in Santa Clarita mm -hmm. and I don't we don't do things like that out there <laughs> um and so that valley is saturated with like these boiler room telemarketing mm -hmm. places but for whatever reason I would live on one side of the valley and I'd get a job like on the opposite side so I'd be on the bus for like five to seven hours a day Damn. um and really my life was like fucking miserable I was miserable um, but I just kept doing the thing. Uh, and my life was so simple because the hours were so long. 
uh, and I worked with my sponsor to have like a very simple setup. Uh, my, my home group was a women's meeting, her, her home group. And I never missed that meeting. Um, because of my, my schedule, I didn't, there was no 90 and 90 for me. Like it didn't work like that. So the alternative was that in addition to her, I needed to talk to two women that had, it was like 20 or 25 years or more clean every day. So that was my deal. I'd be on the bus talking to these women, uh, a lot of crying. There was a lot of crying. Um, and I just continued to do that. And I, I, I've sat on pee on the bus three times. Oh my God. I'm pretty sure it's been adult <laughs> pee every time. Mm -hmm. And this one particular time, the last time I sat on pee, it was on my way to work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, these type of telemarketing jobs, if you miss work, you lose your job. Uh, and even if that wasn't the case, because I was good at it, I was good at my telemarketing job, they probably would have kept me, but I couldn't afford to miss a day of work. Like between like the, the court shit that I had to pay mm -hmm. for, like the little bit of rent that I had at the time, uh, bus passes were expensive. I, I, I couldn't afford to miss work. So I, got, I, had to, I had to go to work like that. And I'm, I'm soaked. Like, oh like they, it I wasn't just like, oh, I had a little accident. They intentionally urinated on, on the seat. You oh know? my God. Um, and I'm waiting at the next, waiting for the next bus. And, uh, I'm crying, I'm just crying. Like, this is my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, what, what am I even doing? And I just have this realization that like, oh, I don't know when the last time, like I, I thought about not using was. And I, I describe it like that because I woke up thinking about not using. Like what I mean by that is like, okay, I can't use until, like just don't use before work. And I was like, just don't use before lunch. Don't use on your lunch break. Don't use until you get to the meeting. And then it was like, don't use until you get home. And that was my life for a long time. Mm -hmm. It was, it was at the forefront constantly. It was the obsession, right? Like just, just don't use, don't use for five minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. Um, it's a tedious way to live. And, uh, and I realized in that moment, like, I don't know when the last time I had to live like that was. And, uh, it was the first time in a long time that I, I thought like, oh, I think I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I think I'm doing this. Um, I was still upset about, you know, the P. The P. <laughs> um, but I felt lighter that day. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt lighter that day. And uh, um, it almost felt like before I knew it, my life wasn't like that. At the time, I lived with this, uh, um, with this guy in recovery. Um, and it was probably my first experience with a man in recovery that wasn't that wasn't friends with like my father um, that like really didn't want anything from me. He had an extra room. He was willing to rent it. It wasn't weird. Um, you know, like he he was an example of a man who has subscribed to this process and like just a good dude. Mm -hmm. He was a good dude. And uh, I'm, I'm really grateful, really grateful for him. But I remember thinking like, I hope Chris never gets married because I need to live with him for the rest of my life. <laughs> like I couldn't see beyond what my life was at that point. Like, and it was like, well, I guess this is as good as it gets mm -hmm. when you wait to get clean 
until you're 30 or whatever it was. Um, and then it was like shortly after that, I wasn't working a telemarketing job. Like I, I, I fell into a, a, a collections job and, and then I got, um, I started working in finance and um, I've made a career out of that. And uh, I don't live with Chris anymore. You know, he's married, has two beautiful children, and I don't need to live with them. Um, It feels like I did this almost by accident, but I know that that wasn't the case. Like, I I struggled for a long time with the concept of a a higher power uh, because I... I, I spent a period of my time like in a, in a church setting. Um, and it was difficult for me to separate the two. It was difficult, difficult for me to separate the two, but like in hindsight, I see that there's always been something at play that has known better for me and wanted better for me. Um, because there's no other way, like I would have been able to navigate this process because there was no conscious decision initially. Uh, and to me, with my sponsees, like I, I, I talk about willingness and like the, the, the power that it carries. Because even without faith and hope, willingness carried me through. All I was doing was just following the same fucking direction my sponsor had been giving me, like from jump. That's it. There was no, no light at the end of the tunnel, um, no end game, no hope. But the willingness like carried me, carried me through. And until that day at the bus stop, like I realized, look, I, I've been relieved of the obsession to use. Like, mm. I think I'm going to do this. Um, and that's, How long did you have a clean at that point? Not two, not two years, maybe like almost two years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Cause like some, if you would have told that, I would have probably thought like maybe like a couple of months, but no. like people don't realize that like sometimes it would take like a year, two years of like just not using one day at a time, struggling, like wondering why the fuck you're even trying, like nothing's getting better for like a year or two years, you know? Cause sometimes like I would have like 60 days clean, like it's it's not working, you know? Like my expectation of what it took to clean up the mess was so unrealistic and um, like i always tell people like if you walk 100 miles in the woods it takes 100 miles to walk out and a lot of times i would take like 10 steps and be like oh well this isn't enough so yeah so just whatever yeah no there was no well you had this wasn't my first attempt so you know that first time maybe the second time i got like on that pink cloud for Mm -hmm. a little bit they didn't there was no pink cloud like the third fourth or fifth time uh it, it was my life sucked yeah. it was miserable it was mm-hmm. miserable uh but i needed that i think another part of that too was like me growing up here people were always trying to soften the blow like my mom uh was loved by a lot of people in this program and uh my family and the people that loved her and knew me had a had a very reasonable fear that they were going to lose me like they lost her mm-hmm. and uh, so they were always trying to soften the blow like make it easier for me um and so there was not a lot of sacrifice on my end. Like it came too easy. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, there's when you don't, for me, when I don't have to work that hard for something, like what am I really losing? Cause it was just given to me. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen this time. Like I, I fucking fought. I had this, like a, this 
blue Nike bag that I that I always had with me because I had to have everything that I was going to need for the entire day because I was gone all day long. Mm -hmm. You know, I the the transit system out here is is just straight garbage. So I I had to have like three different types of bus passes and and, and like I said, five to seven hours a day. Uh, so I, I needed to have changes of clothes. Like I would read a lot on the bus. Um, I just had to have a lot of things with me. So I always, I always look, I don't know if I look like I was homeless mm -hmm. or, but the, I always had, I always had like an overnight bag mm -hmm. with me. Uh, and I, I, I took that thing everywhere. And, uh, <clears throat> I remember, I, th I want to say it was like when I took my, when I took my five, my five years, they had like a little celebration for me and there were people talking about, you know, they talk about you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was interesting to hear people talk about like what they saw during that time. Cause, cause I was in it. So I was just doing it. Uh, it didn't look, it didn't look to me like what it looked like to them. Like the way that they described it is like how hard I thought, like I've, I've heard people say like, I've never seen anybody try so hard to, to get clean, like never. Um, and it wasn't like that while I was doing it. I was just, it was like robotic. I was just living like the mm -hmm. willingness carried me through. Yeah. I always tell people like, um, like the kid who gets the car and halfway and like the nice job, like uses immediately, but like the kid who like takes the bus, has the shitty job, barely has enough money for rent like that. Like those people that stay clean. And it's like, um, like I tell people like, you know, if you take the bus, like your first year in recovery, when you have like 30 years clean, you're going to be talking about how you took the bus your first year in recovery. It's like right. those are the things that kind of make you, you know, and it's like your first couple of years, like if they're not hard, like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't it, really know. It doesn't feel like you're losing anything when you didn't fight There's gotta for be a it. Sacrifice. You didn't strive for it. Yeah. yeah, I um, I mean, it's why the bus is the reason that I've been able to, like, evolve in the career that I've mm -hmm. that I've. I, I didn't choose it. I just wound up there. But I learned how to do uh, use Excel and do like basic accounting mm -hmm. on my phone. It's difficult, but it's feasible. You know, YouTube mm -hmm. uh, is amazing. Um, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that if I had a car. Yeah, I would have been out doing shit, whatever I wanted to do. Uh, but because I was on the bus for so long and I had to stay awake because I started falling asleep on the bus. I'm directionally challenged. Mm -hmm. It's like if I miss my stop, that was a wrap. Mm -hmm. That was a wrap for me. The day the day was done. Uh, thankfully, I used to fall asleep like towards the end of the day. But then Still, I didn't know how yeah. to get home. <laughs> so uh, I had to start doing shit while I was on the bus. So, mm -hmm. Like I read a lot. Like I said, um, I watched a lot of YouTube videos to learn how to use like Excel formulas and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Now, like I geek out on that stuff. But you know, I, I am where I am in my career because of those long bus rides. All my peers have their CPAs. They've got master's degrees. I failed college, like, mm -hmm. you know, I failed my college courses because I was just using the money to to use. So, um, you know, what we do promises one thing you know that, that we can be relieved of the obsession to use that we can find a new way to live but but it grants us so many opportunities that if we take them like our, our lives like it's like they explode but they explode um kind of the way that like evolution is described like it's like 
it doesn't make sense, right? That an explosion would 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 uh, create like this beauty mm-hmm. out of just fucking total Nothing. chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Um, you know, I, I always hear people talk about like, I don't know how this works, but but that's not true. Yeah. It might not make sense. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. Like the, even the therapeutic value of an, one addict helping another, like people who don't understand the program or don't have a, a, like just any any inkling about what goes on here. That, how does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, so someone with the same problem as you is supposed to help you yeah, with your it's problem? It's like super counterintuitive. It's like, right. oh, how can we help drug addicts? We'll just put them together. You know? Right. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Mm-hmm. But we do know how we do it. We have 12 steps. We work them in order. We don't work them alone. I think one of the most valuable, oops, valuable lessons for me was um, learning the difference between um, membership and recovery. Like, uh, I've been a member for a lot longer than I've been in recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I, as soon as I sat in that chair, I was a member because I said I was a member. You know, I, uh, um, as soon as I, I wanted to stop using even a little bit, Because my truth was that what I really wanted was to learn how to manage my using. But I still wanted to get clean a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I still, but I still had membership. I still have membership. Um, But once I surrendered to this process and learned how, learned the application side of what it is we do, like then, then I was in recovery and then my life started to, started to really change. And it wasn't just about sitting on my on my hands and waiting for the the minutes and the hours and the days to pass so that I could just collect another day clean. Um, that's when life like started to get big for me, bigger than it was, you know, and I have, uh, I've been able to like experience these different personal evolutions, like throughout this past, you know, a little over a decade, um, last year. So I, in treatment, I don't know if you've ever done this, but like they, they give, they always gave me this one assignment where you have to like write down three things, like three goals. Mm -hmm. Typically it's like a year out. I can only ever remember two. I wanted my license back and I wanted a boyfriend. That was, Mm -hmm. those were like, those were my big dreams for my, for my life. That's like, I think for me it was like a car. It was all like material (laughs) things, like a car, rims and like tattoos or something. Yeah. That's the best I could come up with. And it was supposed to be a year. Right. Mm -hmm. So I got the boyfriend before the year was up. Mm-hmm. License took a lot longer than that. I want to say like over two years it took me to get that okay. license. Uh, but I was in that relationship for the majority of my recovery. And uh, um, this is not a knock on him. This is just where I was. Like I was straight out of treatment when we hooked up. Mm-hmm. So I might have fallen in love with a rock. Uh, <laughs> and and parts of our relationship were, were really beautiful. Like uh, I, I'm proud of like the evolution that we experienced together, like we did have glow ups to a certain extent and our personal evolutions, like for him specifically, you would never know. He's not one of us, uh, but you would never know that he was who he was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But the relationship expired a a long, a a long time ago, a really long time ago. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was, I was thinking this year about how like recovery made my life so big i i thought it was so big and and in some areas it was really really big but 
even without the using, like I allowed my disease to manifest in this particular area. Uh, and because I had made a plan early on, right? Like he was going to be my person forever. We talked about it early on when it was utter nonsense. Like, mm -hmm. oh, we're going to we're going to get married. We're going to be together forever. Uh, and even when all this, all the signs clearly stated, nah, nah, woman, this is, this is not for you anymore. Um, I I'd, I'd made a decision, and I was sticking to that decision, and uh, and and I got stuck. Um, and it was the same things that like kept me using, like the fear of change, um, the fear of the unknown, uh, like being out of my comfort zone. And uh, this year, like I I, I started doing, a, like participating in a lot more of like our fellowship activities. I've always been big on service. Um, you know, I hit my meetings, I sponsor women, I work with my sponsor, but I wasn't doing a lot of like the things that we do, the fun shit that mm -hmm. we do. And uh, so this year I've been doing a lot of those things and I, I realized like it was kind of sad, the realization that like, oh, my life was still really small yeah, because of, because of decisions I, I, I made and, and, and those decisions were, were based in fear. Like I, I sat on a six step for a real long time and, uh, That's the worst thing you could do. <laughs> one thing, I, one thing I can never say, I'm lying. If mm -hmm. I say like, Oh, I didn't know I'm lying. I was lying to myself or I was in denial. Mm -hmm. I journal a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm crazy. I'm like a little extra crazy. So like I have to journal constantly mm -hmm. so that I can remain a little bit, you know, like self-aware and like dig through the shit. Yeah, it's sometimes like my measuring will like give you answers that you didn't know you were looking for. Right. So I have journals like, full of like, you know, I know that this is not good for either one of us, um, but I'm going to stay anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, one specifically that states that, you know, I, I'm pulling away from my sponsor uh, because I don't want to finish a six step because if I do the work, I'm going to leave. Mm. I, I knew that I was holding on to specific character defects um, that, you know, when we do the work, we grow. There's no there's no alternative. That's just what happens. It's just a matter of fact. And uh, so I intentionally didn't do this work because I wasn't ready to leave. And um, and after the pandemic, um, like I, I got a new home group and uh, and uh, I, I got a little bit more more involved. And um, and it was a, a, another another cycle of like how this how this works magic in my life. Like I. Uh, I don't like to share, so I'm mostly like a passive participant. Mm -hmm. I think I was there for like, I don't know, four or five months, and I took a cake, but that was the only time I ever, shared. I ever shared. Wow. Yeah, I, I did not raise my hand, but I listened. Right, I listened, and uh, I, I'm I'm so grateful for like the members that we have that like that that are just naturally vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That get up and and talk about, um, you know, their struggles about being in the solution. Uh, about not wanting to be in the solution, they come back up and 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 uh, and give us updates on on the things that they've talked about previously. Because like through that, and that's the therapeutic value of one addict helping another. Like I I, I gained the courage to change, and like I I uh, I finally did the thing that I had been writing about for five six years. Uh, I finally, I finally was willing to walk away from that relationship. And I always say like, it wasn't like I wasn't afraid anymore. In fact, I was, I was even more scared because 
Now I'm dealing with the logistics of it. And I know he's taken all my shit. <laughs> you know, I, I know he's taken all my shit. And, uh, and I just, I just did the fucking thing anyway, right? Like I'm still afraid, but I did the fucking thing anyway. And I don't behave that way naturally. I behave that way again, because like of the people I surround myself with, of, of the home group members who, who get up and, and, uh, share about how they're like navigating through the difficult fucking things, you know, about um, making the right decisions, even when they're the hard decisions. Mm. That's not who I am by nature. That's who you guys teach me to be by the way that you live. And you learn it from the same place that I, I learn it. I just love this thing. I don't get to be this. Yeah. I don't get to make good decisions without this. How's it going with you and your dad now? Or what was it like, like your relationship with your father, like getting clean? Um, hard. You know, I had this, uh, I had this story in my head about how, um, like he mistreated me, right? Like mm -hmm. he, he loved my sister more, like he was better to her. Um, and it would be something stupid, right? Like he wouldn't put me on his car insurance, but he would put her on the car insurance. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because he knew I was driving around loaded. So mm -hmm. it makes sense that he wouldn't put me on the car insurance. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love me. But those are the stories that I would I would tell myself while I struggled uh, to get clean. And uh, this last time, I uh, the damage was like very visible, right? The damage, I, I know, I know he loves me. I knew he loved me, but I knew he didn't like me. And um, I thought that was just going to be was what it was. Like, I get it. Mm -hmm. I love him, too. Uh, that's OK if he doesn't like me. And uh, in the beginning with him and my sister, it was like my first exercise in boundaries because they were angry. So yeah. sometimes a little more so my little sister, my dad could tame it because he he Works also subscribes yeah. to this process. Um, but sometimes there was like a passive aggressiveness uh, with him specifically. It was like wanting me to program a specific way. Uh, and I wasn't I wasn't going to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't listen in general, uh, especially not during that time. It was, he wasn't giving me bad ideas. I just wasn't going to do what he was telling me to do. And uh, I, that. I'm sure that kept him in just a perpetual state of fear, right? Like. He thought he was going to lose me and now there's a little bit of hope, but I'm not doing all the things he knows I should be doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it, it yeah, created it a risk. Right. Yeah. And like a lot of times when people like, even with my friends, like I have like really close friends that are using and they get clean and they're using and they get clean and then like they're clean, but they're not really like doing all the things they're supposed to be doing. And then like they want to hang out or whatever. And it's like, you kind of have, I put up like a, a wall and a boundary because it's like, I don't want to feel like super overly invested because then I get controlling and then um, and then I feel let down and then I feel like manipulated and like it's hard because like I have a lot of friends that struggle to stay clean and someone's when they pass away I wonder like you know should I have been there more or whatever but it's really difficult to like manage your own mental health and then also like love somebody without it kind of like taken away from your own shit yeah I I don't envy his position. Mm -hmm. I've had a very small taste of what it's like to like be on the other side of that. 
and I didn't fare well. I was that person driving yeah. around like at three or four in the morning, mm -hmm. knowing I have no idea where this person is, but I'm just going to drive around anyways. Uh, I, I don't envy his position. I, uh, I used to say like, I don't know how he stayed clean, but I know exactly how the fuck he stayed clean. I'm, I'm so grateful that he's a diligent member. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause he didn't have the daughter to take care of too. You know, I, um, <sighs> my dad's amazing. My dad's amazing. And, uh, we're very close now. Uh, he still doesn't agree with my, my decisions. Uh, he's, he leans like a, not politics wise. Like he's just more conservative mm -hmm. than I, than I, you know, like I'm like a, a wild, Mm -hmm. woman like oh hear me roar type of, and he would prefer if i'd be like a little more subdued yeah. <laughs> so, so uh like housewife. yeah he would love that mm -hmm. he, he would love that he uh when i ended this relationship i mean he was glad the relationship was was over he didn't he didn't love mm -hmm. this person for me um but his comment was man he took away your formative years wow so, you know he was he was grieving mm -hmm. Um, and I think he thought he was being helpful. I personally, I didn't care. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't bother me because I don't uh -huh. feel that way. I think especially for, you know, there's a lot of that machismo there still like, you know, we're Mexican. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's like a, like if I'm going to be unfulfilled because I might not have my own children or, or something like that. Uh, and I, I don't feel like that was wasted time or that my formative years are gone. I'm more excited about life than like I've ever been. Uh, I grew so much in that relationship. And, and I don't think I grew because of him specifically. I grew because of, of what we do. Like I, the way that I was able to navigate the end of that relationship, I, it shocked the shit out of me. Because you can talk to any ex I've ever had. There's got to be a volcanic eruption at some point in order for the thing to end. And, uh, the way that I was like able to leave with like empathy and respect, even though there was little to no reciprocity there. Um, I learned, I learned that here. I'm not a graceful woman, but I left that relationship with like a lot of grace. And, uh, I walked away, uh, I walked away with a lot of nothing. Like I, I, uh, I was thinking this year that like, I, the life I have today is not the life that I planned for. It's not the life that I built. It's not the life that I worked for. Like some of that I walked away from voluntarily. Mm -hmm. Some of that was taken from me by my higher power that, that I know that I firmly believe like knows better, knows where I need better than I do. Uh, but some of that shit was fucking taken from me, you know, by, by somebody that I, I loved for, for a decade. Uh, this is not what is supposed to be happening in my life right now externally. And I was having a conversation with, with somebody else in the program and he was talking about like, he's the happiest he's ever been in his life. And on the way home, I was thinking about, I think I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. And, wow. and I was journaling later mm -hmm. and I thought, I don't think so. Happiness to me is like fleeting, right? It's based on external circumstances. And externally, I worked really hard for this like beautiful life that I built and it's not mine anymore. 
it's not mine anymore. Um, but I feel so good. And I, I, I think that's joy. I, I don't think that's happiness because like a joy, I just get to keep no matter what. And I know I got that here. Mm-hmm. I know I got that here. Uh, and that's special. I don't think I've ever been in that position. Like I've always needed the outside shit to be good too, in order for me to be good. Mm-hmm. And the outside shit is not good right now. Not, none of it is, is what I wanted or, or what I fucking built. Um, but I'm so at peace with like, with, with who I am and here and, and, uh, what I bring to the table, even though like, it's not, not, not all of the materialistic things that like, that I want, or even the ones that I, I still believe are fucking important. Like I've got to rebuild all that shit, but that's cool. Yeah. You know, I, I've got time. And I think that's like some of the biggest things that I hear people like when I first got clean, people like, like, what do you want or whatever? I just want to like be happy. And, um, like I heard a speaker say like, that's the horse you came riding in on, you know, like you just want to feel good all the time. And, um, I think like a lot of people ask me like, are you happy? And like, sometimes like I'm not always happy, but there's like a level of like peace and I feel like fulfilled. And I think like fulfillment and peace are like longer lasting, um, things that are like real and like happiness is like a fleeting kind of immature way to live your life, like a childish way. And, um, so not, it's like weird to be happy all the time. You know what I mean? Right. Like I just want to be like calm and like peaceful and grateful. Like if I could be grateful, like the happiness kind of comes as like a byproduct of it. Right. Well, people can't take your peace or your gratitude, mm-hmm. not unless you yeah. allow them to, but anybody can take away my happiness. Mm-hmm. You, you catch me in the wrong mood. Yeah. You know, you don't give me what I want mm-hmm. when I want it that's all that takes Mm -hmm. but the serenity that you can't touch that unless i unless i hand it over Mm -hmm. that's weird that's like another one of those like weird dynamics that don't make a lot of sense but because we feel it like Mm -hmm. we live it so like i know what i'm talking about maybe i can't describe it to you like i'm not gonna be able to articulate it because um when I first got clean, like something someone would say would trigger me to want to use. And then when I found like comfortable in my own skin and like I found like a it was weird. It's like I found like a sense of myself like you you could say whatever to me and it wouldn't I would only be able to hand it over. Like I know exactly what you mean. Like I wouldn't like you wouldn't be able to take it away anymore. You know. Right. Yeah. So how did you get clean? Um, I started using really young and um I was a uh, marchman active to a treatment center. And when I went to detox, there wasn't um, H&I or anything like that. But my childhood friend had been trying to get me to read this book. It's Scar Tissue by Anthony Kiedis. And when I read that book, he talked about 12-step meetings and H&I. And I had read a couple books about like drug addiction, like just like celebrities, like just like, like a million little pieces or something like that, you know? And... Um, None of those books talked about how to get clean. It was just like years of them using it. And at the end, they just get clean or something. And that was the first book that broke down 12-step meetings. And that's literally how I found out about meetings. So I literally read that book and was like, this is what I got to. I really consider Anthony Kiedis as like my H&I meeting, you know. 
And um, when I read that book, I literally got a treatment. I told my mom, like, I got to go to these meetings. And my mom was like, do they have any for kids? You know, like, because there wasn't like youth 12 step meetings, you know? And I was like, in my mind, I don't want to go to a kid one. You know, I want to go to like the adult one, you know? Because I used with people that were like in their 30s, you know? And um, even in my 40s. And I remember I went to my first meeting and um, it was the other fellowship and it was like a party. They like weren't having a meeting. And the guy was like, come back tomorrow at 10. There's like a lot of young people. And I went to a 10 o'clock meeting, which I'm sure they're the same like everywhere. But like any 10 o'clock meeting is like wild and lit, you know, (laughs) like people are hanging out. And like the first time I went there, there was like, uh, I remember like cars on 24 inch rims blasting rap music girls in the parking lot someone was skateboarding the meeting started 10 minutes ago no one was inside people were like smoking and drinking red bulls and energy drinks and like monsters and stuff and like i remember my mom was like mijo like these people aren't clean you know and like it was like younger people and then the older people were there but they were like so fucked like in their life that they just like if you're at a 10 o'clock meeting in your 40s, it's right. like you probably don't got a lot going on. Yeah. You know, and it would be or like they're recently divorced or like they're going to like a midlife crisis or like they just. So even the older people were crazy, you know, and um, there was times where I would go to a meeting and I would look at people and I would look at them and be like, I have nothing in common with these people. Like, I don't even want to be here. And then they would share and I'd be like, man, that's like my family, you know, like. They would share stuff that would resonate so much with me and I wouldn't want it to. I'd be like, I thought 12 step meetings like overkill. Like I thought it worked, but I just thought it was like overkill. You know, I thought it was like killing a fly with like a sledgehammer, you know? So like I knew it worked for them, but I was like, my problem's not that bad or I'm so young that I could like nip it in the butt. And then when these people shared, it just started to hit so hard. And like, I would just drive home thinking like, like, this is where I belong, you know? And then um, my first year or two, I felt totally alienated unless I was at a meeting. So like meetings were the only place where I felt comfortable. And uh, when I read the basic text, I thought it was going to be like, because I'm pretty like, I would I'm pretty intellectual and I read a lot. And like, even though I was on drugs my whole life, like I was always smart. And I remember thinking, like, I'm going to read this book and it's going to be like bullshit. And yeah. like, I'm going to find all of like the reasons why it doesn't work or whatever. And when I read it, it was so because I thought it was going to be something like the Bible. And when I read it, it made so much fucking sense. I couldn't believe that there was a book like this. Like, I couldn't believe that this like this technology was even in the fucking like. And then I couldn't I knew everything about drugs. Like I knew about methadone, suboxone. I know like make crack. Like, you know, I like done meth, like I've been, I could make a crack pipe out of anything. Like I knew where to get drugs. I knew everything about drugs. I had never heard of 12 step meetings, nor did I think that it was like a respect, like a legit thing. I thought it was like a, like, I don't know. Like if people, I don't even know if I even thought about them, you know? And then when I went to meetings, when I read the basic text, it like solidified everything I had felt already. And then my membership, I never doubted my membership since then, because when I would go to meetings, I would feel like a a volunteer, not a volunteer, like an outsider visiting. I feel like a visitor going to these meetings. Like I liked it, but I wasn't sure if I was really like 
if my membership was really like valid because I was young and like, I didn't know if I was really all in. And then I felt weird because I didn't really believe it 100%. And then when I read the basic text, there's this part that says like, we buy our seat, we buy our seats with our pain. And when I read the who is an addict, it was like my sponsor told me to highlight everything you could relate to. And I just started oh, highlighting the whole thing. And I was never the same since. And then um, I think a lot of people were skeptical about the meetings and stuff. Like, I just was like, oh, yeah, this is it. Did you know addicts wrote the basic text? Yeah. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. Because like in the beginning of the book, that's like kind of what it explains. So in the beginning of the book, it would say like, this is the only book written by addicts for addicts. Right. I meant before you opened it. I would imagine that it was. But when I would go, I didn't realize how big it was. So even when I had like a year clean, there was times where I would still doubt recovery. And I remember this one time I was at the 10 o'clock meeting. I only went to one meeting. I didn't go to any other meetings. It was seven days a week. So I rarely went to other meetings. And I knew that there was other meetings. And I remember at a year clean, my friend George K, who's like, he worked the steps five different times. He worked the traditions. He worked the concepts. He goes to like five meetings a day. Like he's just so gun ho about the program. He had like five years when I had a year probably. And um, I remember this one time I was at the 10 o'clock and I was like, you ever think about like saying like, just like fuck the program. Like you ever just say like, screw this. And he was like, what? And it was as if I had just slapped his mom. He was like, what? <laughs> He was like, fuck the program. He's like, bro, are you out of your fucking mind? And he was like, you know how many times I say fuck this meeting? I'll say that all the time. Like, fuck this meeting. I'll just go to another one. But I'll never say fuck the program. And that's when I realized, like, this 10 o'clock meeting is not the program. And that's when I realized that, like, this is so big. And, like, just because I don't, that I'm getting sick of my one meeting that I go to. Right. That, like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that's like a lot of people's problem with like years clean is that they start to get resentful towards meetings, like a couple of meetings and like a couple of people. And then they throw the whole program away. away. And it's like, this is worldwide. I think we're like, like what, like 350 languages. It's and crazy. It's, it's like, we're so big and uh, global and like, just like, like, I think it, it'll go down in history as like the greatest invention as like the 20th century. It's like the the most practical thing and to think about how like churches work like um i'm really close to like um my friend who's a pastor and like, i go to his church all the time and he tells me all the time like i think the 12-step program has done something that church has been trying to do for years because you guys are so like autonomous and like instead of having one big church with all right. these people you guys have grown with these little things and there's no like head he's like the way your organization is set up he was like it's it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And I, I, the insight that the WSC gave me mm -hmm. was like, it really just blew my fucking mind. I, when I was serving there, I thought this is what I'm supposed to be. This mm -hmm. is what I'm supposed to be doing next. Then I, I was uh, elected to be the secretary mm -hmm. of our home group. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and that is a, mm -hmm. that's a whole fucking ordeal. I've been the secretary of plenty of meetings and you can get there like 15, yeah. 20 minutes early. This is not that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Regional service will, will need to wait a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I think like in the business matters, like that's where yeah. that's where I belong. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Yeah. The infrastructure of the program I, as a nonprofit is just um, uh, 
like it's re- it's almost like you can only uh, like uh, accredit it to God. It's like, a phenomenon. Like it's a phenomenon for sure. Yeah. It's like so insane how it is like this living thing. And there's so many people that like talk so much crap about like the organization, but it's like come up with a better one. You know, it's right. like it's like there is n- the fact that it's lasted this long. It's like, and I'm so grateful that like we, even you and I, are still in the beginning. Of, it would be as if like being the first hundred years of Christianity. Right. It's like that crazy that we have so much influence in the program as it's still in its infant stages. This is still like an infant stage when you consider it next to like any, anything else, anything else any, that's yeah. like comparable. You couldn't. I don't know. It's crazy. But I think it's always going to be this way because of the way that we're set up to work from like the ground up like mm-hmm. the, there's just this constant like the inverted, evolution the inverted pyramid right idea even though the basic text is like even the concept of revision is like crazy because normally when someone writes something they're just like that's it right like we have like seven editions like it's uh really crazy to think about the 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 concept of a higher power that is not like um black and white and like all inclusive, ever changing, evolving. Have adapted. you been to the WSC? No, I you really gotta need go. To. I, I think you. I think you'll like it. Yeah. 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 I think when I started learning, so when I do anything, I get into it. So like, even when I started doing cocaine, I started like learning about Pablo Escobar. <laughs> you know, like when I first started doing cocaine, I was like, I gotta learn about the cartels and like how they make it in Colombia. And I think my love for the twelve step program really. My appreciation for it started to grow when I started to learn about like how it started and like the history of it. And that's when I was like, wow, this is not just like some court ordered dumb thing that they send you to, you know? Right. And even like when I was in high school, I had like, I started high school at six months clean. I had like a, like, or, uh, What's it called? Or symbol, like necklace. I had like my little basic text. Like I didn't bring any school stuff. I would just read the basic text <laughs> in school. I would do my step work like in, in the cafeteria. And like I was like a fanatic from the beginning. So let me tell you, my take on addicts who got clean young and like mm-hmm. stick around used to be like a like what before I like was really working steps was mm-hmm. like, I feel like maybe they're not addicts. That or mm-hmm. like maybe you just like had nowhere else to go. Yeah. And so like now and now you're like cool here. So like this is where you stay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I've gotten to know, you know, I got that's to know Chris feel, more. That's how I would feel about other addict, other young addicts, because yeah. like my addiction was so hardcore in my eyes that when I would see I didn't relate to the other young addicts. I, I when I would see like people who were like on heroin for 20 years. To me, I'm like, that's my guy. But you know how people are like, oh, you should go meet this other right. young person? I would be like, oh, that kid's not even a real addict. But I, I, so I felt like that. I too. believe that. But even someone like you, and I've heard yeah. that you, like, you used. Yeah. Like, you used, used. I still would think, like. It was a phase. Not a, Yeah, like, yeah. maybe you're, like, don't you mm-hmm. think you could be okay now? But within the past, like, five or six years, I think that a. Uh, young at like people who got clean real young mm-hmm. like you guys like you really are like astounding to me the most of you that i know like continue to to like uh subscribe to this process with the same like mm-hmm. dedication and the same vigor that that like yes. you did when you got here so like when i started to mature in my like idea of like what addiction is it's like um 
like, because there is people in recovery who are like, their drug of choice is weed. Right. And like, there's a time where I would like judge that or whatever. Maybe not publicly, but like in my no, head. No, in my you know head for I mean? sure. And I'd be like, oh, you're in here for marijuana or whatever. But um, the thing is, is like, okay, you can say like my addiction isn't real. You can't say my recovery isn't. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like my addiction might not be hardcore, but my recovery is hardcore. Sir, but your guys service is like, top fucking yeah. notch. Yeah. So a lot of young people are like, I think we just, I think like when people get clean, like older in age, they kind of like focus on like their career and like this stuff. And like they might love the 12 step program and they're like working steps or whatever. Like young people don't have anything going on. They don't have a career. They don't have kids. So like when we get clean, we're like, we got to work traditions and like, we got to do this and we got to have this convention. And like some of us get clean with so much enthusiasm that some people that get clean later in life don't really have. So like, I remember getting a year clean. I was just like screaming at the top of my lungs about like, if you don't work steps, you're going to die motherfucker. And like, I just listened to so many old school speaker tapes that I was just like, I was so gun. Like I'm still gun ho now, but like when I had like three years clean, two years clean, I thought I was like, saving the world you know but i love that's cool i love it's that cool. yeah it's cool i love that mm-hmm. like i we need you guys yeah i i do yeah. i need that like you guys light my fire mm-hmm. i appreciate that yeah thank you well hey thanks for coming on the show i know it was last minute and i really appreciate you taking time out of your weekend especially at the convention a lot of people are like oh well, i don't want to do it on the convention weekend so thank you you're welcome Thanks for asking, I think. Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate it.